Welcome to another podcast by Dr. Dennis Smith, Senior Pastor of Covenant Life Ministries. To find out more, go to lifeandfocustv.com. You know, sometimes when your children are growing up, uh, they have, you have this place in, um, maybe on a doorpost or somewhere where, you know, you, you back them up against that post and you take a pencil or a marker or something and you mark their height. And then a year from, a year from that time, you know, you back them up against the same place and mark that so that you can look back over the years and see, my, look how, they, look how they've grown. Look how they've gotten older. And it's kind of like also having to go to, uh, after several years, if you happen to go to a high school reunion and you discover that everyone else you graduated with got old. <laughs> and then you discover there are some folks that got old on the outside, but they never grew up on the inside. We face a real problem in the world today, and I think a real problem in the church because of immaturity. People just don't grow up where they need to grow up. And, uh, you know, just suppose, if you've ever gone back and looked through old pictures, photographs, and you see these pictures of 10, 15, 20 years ago, and you say, is is that me? Did I really ever look like that? Wouldn't it be something if you could have snapshots of your spiritual life. Wouldn't it be something if you could look back five years, ten years, and see where you were spiritually and where you are now? And people are always saying, you know, I, isn't, there, isn't there more to life? Isn't there more to the Christian life than this? Um, I, I thought that, you know, I thought that things would be different by now. Why can't, why can't life be different why can't I be different? You know, in, in the, we can say that there is the material or physical world, and there is, uh, which is seen, you can see it, and there is the spiritual world, which is unseen. They both exist. They both exist. They're both existence right now. And, and we, we know that there is the spiritual realm of the kingdom of God, which the kingdom of God is any place, any dimension where God's rule, his authority is followed and practiced. And the kingdom of Satan is a kingdom of this world, which is darkness, everything opposed to God and good. It's, it's death, it's sin. And, and these two kingdoms exist. You know, the invisible kingdom <laughs> it is difficult to get a grasp on, isn't it? You can't see it. And in our life as Christians, what, happen, what happens in our lives is, is a, begins with a spiritual, uh, invisible work. Now, understand that invisible means you can't see it. 
but invisible is not imaginary. There are invisible beings here this morning in this building that you and I cannot see. Now, don't run out of the building. The Holy Spirit is here this morning that you cannot see. Now, you may see the results of being here. So the invisible is more important than the visible. The spiritual is more important than the physical. But you see how over years it's shifted and everybody concentrates on the physical, the material side, what you can see, instead of concentrating on the unseen world, right? The invisible world. And in order for us to learn how to walk out the life God's called us to live, the different life He's called us to live, we have to understand more about the working of the, of the Spirit, of that invisible force. You've seen the, there's a couple of movies built around this idea uh, that there's a, a particular sport or ball game going on. And, and one of the teams, you know, might have some, one of them, they might be old or they might be the one that, uh, that are that are weaker, the losing team, and yet it's a miraculous season for them. Why? Because in some of the movies you see that it comes up and there's actual angel that's, that's following each one of them. You know, you've seen this, and, and they miraculously make a catch or they miraculously make a throw or hit the ball because there's, there's an angel just right there. There's a power that's there. Now, I know that in that sense, we see it's a movie, it's theatrics, it's, it's, it's make-believe, but you understand that in a sense that's the way the Christian life works. There is a unseen, there is an unseen spiritual force that's at work in your life that causes things to happen in your life. Are you sure, Pastor? Well, let me give you a couple examples of how that works. For instance, salvation. Salvation is not just you trying to change the way you live. Salvation is something that God's provided is a gift that, has, that takes place on the inside, isn't it? Isn't that right? It's invisible, isn't it? It's a new birth. It's spiritual birth. You can't see it. It happens on the inside. But there, as a result of that, it begins to show in the material, the physical realm. You change. Prayer works that way, doesn't it? You pray, a certain, something's going on, a certain circumstance you're praying about, and you pray concerning that. You make a request, you pray for something to change. And when you do that in faith, you've activated in the spiritual realm a way that God begins to work supernaturally. You're against the powers of darkness. You have access to the power of God in your life. And you pray, and here's what happens. As you pray, it's a, something goes on spiritually. Things begin to change in the spiritual world. And don't do you, isn't it right that sometimes we pray and we don't see any results for a while? Don't get discouraged. That doesn't mean, if you're praying in faith, that doesn't mean that there's, there's look, there's something still going on. You just haven't seen it yet. And what happens when we pray in faith, it's a spiritual change, it's a spiritual thing that we do that eventually results in us being able to see it. It 
could, as we say, materialize or it is demonstrated in our life. Now, that's a very, very important principle. We know, as we've been talking about, there are two kingdoms. There's the kingdom of God. There is the kingdom of Satan. We know that God planted his kingdom here on earth and gave man dominion over the earth. And what was God's purpose? He wanted to bring heaven down to earth. In a sense, he wanted to establish a place where his kingdom would be His blessings would be enjoyed. His principles and truths would be followed. That was his design. Something messed it up. It was man's disobedience that messed it up. It was lost. It was taken over by the enemy. God had had an answer for that. Already had an answer for that. That he would send one, a man, 100% God, 100% man, Jesus Christ, who would live without sin, give his life as a sacrifice, shed his blood for us, die, be, he would rise again, he would take over the keys of, of, of hell. In other words, he would take back what the enemy had stolen. Where the kingdom had been lost by man's disobedience, the kingdom could now be restored in our life by Jesus Christ. And when that happens in our life, something changes. Every kingdom has its own principles. It has has its own culture. It has its own laws. It has its own precepts. And that's very important for us to know. Now, uh, as believers, you and I are called to live a different life in this world. We live in a different kingdom. We're citizens of the kingdom of God. And in order for us to live effectively and successfully in this different world in the kingdom of God, then we must learn the precepts, the laws, the way that God has designed for us to live. Because you can know that God has all of that out there for you, but if you don't know how to access it and you don't know how to walk it out, you won't be able to experience or walk in it. All of us know As believers, we've heard a lot of wonderful truths. We've heard a lot of things that we believe that God has done for us and given to us that we still do not experience and we don't walk in, right? So what will help us over the next few weeks, we're going to look at some of those. We're going to look at seven life life precepts or seven life principles that go along with the kingdom that if you learn these things, it will help you grow. It will help you walk in kingdom reality. It will help you walk in a different world. It'll help us do that. I think that's pretty good, don't you? Now, you probably already read these things, but I want, us to, I want us to really plant our feet firmly on them because this is a foundation for us to go on with what God has called us to do and to be. Now, we're going to look at those over the next few weeks. There are kingdom dynamics that are so important for us to know. We must know them and we must know how to use them to receive from God and to live as he's called us to live. But what I want to do today, before we move into those seven things, which will begin, start on those next time. What I want to do today is to, is to lay the groundwork for it. And I want to do that by going to one of Paul's, the Apostle Paul's prayers in the New Testament, where he prayed for a church. And it's found in the book of Colossians chapter 1. Colossians chapter 1. 
Now, the book of Colossians was written by the Apostle Paul to the believers, most of them being Gentile, few of them Jewish, to the believers in a city named, that is named Colostai. People pronounce it all different ways, but I think the correct pronunciation is Colostai. And Colossae, I'm sorry, Colossae. And so uh, Colossae is where, the, uh, where he writes that we have uh, the word Colossians. Now, Colossae was an ancient city in uh, Asia Minor, in ancient uh, Asia Minor, and it was part uh, of the Roman Empire and later the Byzantine Empire. But You find it, this particular city was located about 100 miles from um, Ephesus. And Ephesus was a city, a large city during that time. And that's one of the cities that Paul on his missionary journeys, that's one of the cities where Paul went, had a tremendous work, move of God there. And he stayed three years, three years, training people, teaching people, helping the church get more and more established. And it's likely that while he was there, that he was uh, with a man. There was another man that was there with him that was taught by Paul by the name of Epaphras. E-P-A-E-P-A-P-H-R-A-S. Epaphras. And Epaphras became the leader of the church of, of Colossae. And we believe in him becoming the pastor or the one that was in oversight leading these particular people. And by the way, when you read this in Colossians chapter 1 and you hear Paul talking about the people's love for one another, about their faith, I mean, he just compliments them. He just, he just, it's just tremendous how he encourages them. The interesting thing about it is that it's very likely that Paul never went there. He never knew the people. What happened was Epaphras actually was over the church, and we believe that he traveled some 1,300 miles to Rome. And there he met with Paul concerning some things that were going on in the church. So that Paul could write a letter, send a letter back to the church, which became what we have in the book of Colossians here to them. He wrote a letter back to the church to speak some things in their life, which was extremely important. So that just kind of helps us move into Colossians chapter, uh, uh, chapter 1 here. Now, the two problems that the church there was facing was, first of all, the church there was was really under attack from the enemy because there was a constant pressure that was coming to them because they were in a, surrounded by a, uh, a corrupt culture. The church, you know, that, that does, think about it. The church was struggling because they were inundated with a corrupt culture. Sound familiar? They were surrounded by a corrupt culture. Now, when you read about that particular area, they had, they had dozens and dozens of different deities, gods, goddesses. And most of them were uh, gods or goddesses of fertility. 
which means that much of their worship was centered around sensuality, pornography, immorality. Look, it was part of their worship. It was the way people grew up. It's what they knew. And now you have people that hear the gospel. Their lives are changed through Christ. And yet they're still surrounded by all of this other garbage. And they face a problem because since they're surrounded by all of that stuff, the church is continually, so many of the people in the church are continually tempted or being drawn away. There was uh, one writer that, uh, one, one writer that called that the, the cable of the past. The cable of the past. And you know, what he's saying there is that the people are living in a, your old life. This is the way you used to live. Now, this is your new life in Christ. But for so many people, there's a connection, a cable there. And they always feel kind of a tug or a pull to pull them back to the old life. It's, it's sad to see someone lapse back into their old life and their old patterns of living. And the church was dealing with this. And Paul wanted to speak in that situation to help them to stay strong and not be overwhelmed by this. To let the power of God work in their lives so that they didn't compromise or go back to their old way. The other thing that was bombarding the church was false doctrine or teaching, which is still true today. Had your whole witness come by the house the other day. And... Uh, you know, I don't ever tell them I pastor a church. I'm not lying. They just don't ask. So I don't, I don't tell them. They come by, had some interesting conversations, and it can be challenging because many of them are well-versed in what they believe. But they're not well-versed in the Scripture. So I didn't have a whole lot of time. You know, I, I've invited them back. I'm not really making welcome someone that teaches false prophecy, but I, I like this young man. I invited. I said, "Look, you. I don't. You know, you've got a time. Some back. You, you want to come back sometime, and man, you sit down and look at this together. We will set a time. But as of now, he hasn't accepted the invitation. But when he came to the door, you know, he introduced himself as Jehovah's Witness, and his question was, uh, "Would you? Do you believe that there needs to be? Do you need, believe that there needs to be?" change in this world, that the world has problems? I said, yes, I do. He says, what do you believe the answer for that is? Wouldn't you like to find the answer? I said, I, I, I believe I know the answer. And he said, what is the answer? I said, the answer is Jesus Christ. I said, he's the one that changes us. And I said, the answer is the word of God. That's how things are changing. Yes. I said, do you believe in Jesus? Yes. You have to picture at this time, he's got his iPad or whatever, because he said, let me show you this scripture. Let me show you this in the Bible. And every time he'd go with his little finger, I'd, say, I'd ask him another question. And he, he never could get to what he wanted to read. So, and just simple questions. I wasn't trying to put him down. It was just simple saying, look, do you know Jesus? Do you believe in Jesus? Yes, we believe in Jesus. Do you believe he died on the cross for our sins? Pause for just a moment, and then he said, yes, I believe that. And I said, do you believe 
that he's the son of God? Yes. I said, do you believe he's deity? Do you believe that he's God, one with God? Well, no. We believe that he is a God. And so I said, well, I don't believe that. I believe Jesus Christ is who he says he is in the scripture. He is a son of God, but he is God. Father, Son, Holy Spirit. This is what we believe. If you want to talk about it further, come back sometime when we can do that. And very politely, he went on his way. You don't have to sit. Look, in most of these situations, they won't give you the time to actually go down and study it together. I'm talking about anybody in a false doctrine. Because they've got their line of scriptures in what they believe. And that's the reason so many Christians succumb to that is because Christians don't have a knowledge of the word and they don't know what they really believe. And what we want to do is we don't want to kick these people out. And we don't, I mean, we want, we're not going to allow them, we're not going to be, show hospitality to them in the sense the scripture warns about that. But we will give them the opportunity, anybody, false doctrine, anybody to come sit down and talk about it. So we treat them with, with a certain amount of, of uh, civility there. But so often in talking to people, you know, you don't have to get into, you don't have to be a scriptural giant. You don't have to be a great student of the word. You just have to have a real experienced encounter with God. So that you can look them eyeball to eyeball. And you can say to their heart, look, Jesus changed my life. And he's the one that can change the world. Do you know him personally as your Savior? And look, nothing may ever come of that. But many times you've planted a seed that I believe God will use. Now, one of the false doctrines that this church faced was what we call Gnosticism. It was rampant in the churches of of those days, especially by the Grecians, the Greeks. And Gnostic is the Greek word for knowing or knowledge. And the, the meaning of that's kind of evolved or changed over the years. But essentially this is what they believed. They believed that there was a great God, that there was a great God who was over all. He was good and he was perfect. He was creator of the and he was good and perfect but he was unknowable, he was untouchable. He's God. But then they believed that there was a lesser God who wanted to create a material universe, the earth, everything in it. And, but the, it got all messed up, you know. Things went wrong and there was pain and misery and, and intellectual blindness. Therefore, everything became corrupt. And so the Gnostics began to see that there was the material, everything material was corrupt and bad, and only the spiritual was good. And this was a false doctrine that was coming into the church. And uh, what what happens as a result of this is that in order for you to have some type of mystic experience with God, you must gain some type of inner knowledge. This is mysticism. This is also humanism. That we gain this, somehow we gain or have an approach to God because of knowledge that we gain. What happens there is a shift. 
It is self-redemption instead of Christ's redemption. I can be redeemed or changed if I have a certain amount of knowledge. But Christ's redemption says he did it for me. And just knowing will not change me. So when you look at these beliefs, it's, it's rather dangerous. It's subtle. It's subtle. You see it in our schools, our universities, even in churches today, where it talks about just your inner self, just changing yourself, self-improvement. I'm all for self-improvement. But the change has to take place on the inside. The, human beings do not have the ability to change the world. It has to come supernaturally. Christianity and Gnosticism are polar opposites. Gnosticism is a man-centered, is man-centered. Christianity is Christ-centered. You understand that when church faces certain type of uh, false teachings, uh, it's usually always subtle. It's a mixture of what's true and what's false, truth and lies. And so it sounds good on one hand, but there's some real problems when you go into the Word. One of those false doctrines is coming through a new movie called Sunday's Coming with Carlton Pearson, which in what he says in that, that there is that hell doesn't exist, that what he says in this is basically that everyone there is, is just innately good. It doesn't matter how you live, what you're doing, whatever. Jesus, we've all, all been redeemed already, and we just need to learn how to live out our life more fulfilling and in a better way. This man used to be a... a Years ago, a strong preacher and teacher to thousands. Didn't agree with everything he said then, but he was built upon some things in the Scripture. But what you're seeing now, and what will happen in these movies, and what will happen is that these things are, are, are like tentacles that go into the church. And when you hear what he says, it sounds nice. It sounds good. And yet, if you're not grounded in the Word... That if you are grounded in the word, you will not be pulled away by these things. So it's important for us as believers, as a church, for us to, to not, for us to know the truth so we're not carried away by false doctrine. Well, these were the two, these were the two primary things that were bombarding the church, and it still bombards the church today. But very quickly, go with me to Colossians chapter 1, verse 9 through 14. Colossians chapter 1, verse 9 through 14. I'm in the Amplified Bible. And... Uh, just, uh, I think it's going to be on the screen, but read, read it, uh, read along with me. For this reason, since the day we heard about it, we've not stopped praying for you, asking specifically that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will in all spiritual wisdom, with insight into his purposes. This is Paul's prayer for them. Filled with knowledge to follow his will. That you be filled with spiritual wisdom, insight, and his purposes. That you be filled with those so that you will have understanding of spiritual things. Verse 10. If you have this, then so that you will walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, displaying admirable character, moral courage, and personal integrity, to fully please Him in all things, bearing fruit in every good work, and steadily growing in the knowledge of God with deeper faith, clear insight, and fervent love for His precepts. 
He says, I pray that you'll have this, this knowledge of God, this spiritual wisdom that will help you to know how to live out, to practice what you know, and that these will come together to give you understanding so that you can feel what God has called you to do. But you need to know these precepts, these, this foundation to be able to do that. The Message Bible in that portion says, as you learn more and more how God works, you will learn how to do your works. And think about that. As you and I learn more and more how, how God works, the principles, how God works, you'll learn how to do your work. Verse 11 says, we pray, says we pray that you may be strengthened and invigorated with all power according to his glorious might to attain every kind of endurance and patience with joy giving thanks to the Father who's qualified us to share in the inheritance of the saints, God's people in the light. For he has rescued us, has drawn us to himself from the dominion of darkness and has transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved Son in whom we have redemption because of his sacrifice resulting in the forgiveness of our sins and the cancellation of sins penalty. Hallelujah. And amen. Powerful words. So before we start looking at these seven precepts for life to change our lives, and what the Bible says about these areas, uh, I want to just start by us briefly going over three stages of spiritual growth or three stages of life change as you grow in your spiritual life. They are very fundamental, but I think they're very powerful and important. The first stage is importance of getting knowledge and wisdom. Get knowledge and wisdom. If you're going to begin to understand who God is and what, how he works, you must gain knowledge and wisdom. Verse 9 says that Paul prayed that you be filled with the knowledge, knowledge of his will in all spiritual wisdom and understanding. Verse 10, he says that you'll be increasing in the knowledge of God. Now, in our culture, we view knowledge from a Western mindset, which is somewhat like the ancient Greeks. And that, to, in that mindset, you're saying that knowledge uh, means something that, to, to just simply help you achieve an end goal. Knowledge is simply gaining facts, learning facts, accumulation of information. Knowledge. And uh, can y'all read that? Can y'all read that in the back? Good. Because <laughs> it's on the back screen too, and that is little. Boy, is that little. I, I don't use that, but that is little. Okay. Anyway. Come on back here to me. Come on back to me. Just a minute. Okay. Get knowledge and wisdom. So knowledge is just an accumulation or gaining facts, right? Just know, I just want to know more information. But Paul uses knowledge from the Hebrew mindset, which focuses on the, the path more than the end goal. It's a process. And, you know, in most of America, uh, knowledge is revered. That it's important for you to go learn these facts, to get this information. We, uh, we think it's so important that when somebody finishes it, we put letters by their name. 
BA, MA, PhD, JD. You know, we put letters by their names because they've gained a certain amount of knowledge. Hopefully, they've also learned how to apply that knowledge. But the problem is, if it's knowledge alone, it is just simply a gathering of facts. And knowing by itself will not change anything. Knowing is simply part of the process to get you somewhere. That's why it's important for us to know also that there's a connection. Now, knowledge and wisdom are, are different. They're distinct from one another. The Hebrew concept of wisdom is often equated with the word skill. In Proverbs, Solomon uses the word wisdom to describe uh, giving us skills in knowing how to live out our life. So from Paul, he's saying wisdom is the knowledge of how to live in a way that pleases God. So when you have all these facts and information, that's knowledge. But wisdom means I know what to do with them. I know how to use them. I have a skill to know how to take what I have and use it. You know people that, you know people that just pretty much are, uh, they're, you know, it's good to be a lifelong student. Years ago, years ago when we uh, homeschooled some of our kids there, it, one of the greatest principles that we got a hold of was the fact that learning is a lifetime experience. It's not a kindergarten through 12th grade or college that you develop a learning experience, you develop in the child a mentality of a love for learning and knowing that it's something we never know it all here on earth. We don't. We're always, we always have room to grow. We always have something to learn. The, the, prob, the people who give you a real problem is those people who don't think, or let's say put it in a positive way, those people who think they know everything. Do you know people that are just lifetime students? I've known people in my lifetime that just, they, they just go into school. They continue to go to school. They just, you know, get one degree, they go get another. Or they don't get a degree, but they go to a different school. And there's always going back to school. Now, sometimes it's just a sense of, out of confusion. They don't have a clue what they want to do with their lives. But there are just some people that are just perpetual students. And there are some people that they gather all this knowledge and what we say it down south, they've got a lot of book learning. And I'm not opposed to book learning. But they don't have an ounce of common sense. They don't know how to use it. But understand that when you do a simple additional pro addition problem, knowledge plus wisdom equals understanding. In order for us to grow spiritually, we must gain understanding. Now, the Greek word for understanding, this is interesting, the Greek word for understanding literally means to bring together. So understanding is the bringing together of knowing something and knowing what to do with it. Knowing it and knowing how to use it. There's a lot of Christians who know what the Bible says, but they don't know how to use it in their life. Right? A lot of people have got a lot of information. They can quote you scripture. They can give you chapter and verse. They can, they, get, they can rival the best when it comes to having information. And there are people I met in, in graduate school, in seminary, that had a lot of information. But it was just simply information. So it's so important for us to see that we must put the two, they must marry the two together. The ability to apply, here's what it is, the, the ability to apply biblical principles 
to special circumstances in my life. Let me tell you something. As simple as that is, that is a profound significance for us as believers to help us to grow. And that is we must be able to come to a place where we have the ability to apply biblical principles to the circumstances in our life. If we can learn how and if we will do it and apply what God says to our circumstances, then we'll live in a different world than what most people live in today. So very important. Well, first, get knowledge and wisdom. If you're going, if you're going to learn the precepts of living in a, a life God's called you to, you've got to start with knowing it, knowing how to use it, having that knowledge, wisdom, and understanding. The second thing is, then act on what you know. Knowing it is not enough, act on what you know. Verse 10 says, the purpose of knowing is to walk in a manner. You see, knowing, you can know something and not move. But here it says that real knowing spiritually results in walking. In the understanding of, of the Hebrews and in the early church, there was no difference, no separation between knowing and doing. It was simply, it was like two sides of the same coin, two different sides of the same coin. If you know something, then it will result in doing. Now, Look in verse 9 again. It says, he says, as you know these things that you may be filled with. That's in passive tense, which means we don't do the filling. We're not, we're not the one who changes. It takes his power that does it inside. He's the one who does it. You cannot just get a lot of knowledge. You cannot just try to learn how to apply things in your life. It must come from a source deep inside of you where you are allowing God to change you on the inside. Now, knowing should produce doing action. And Jesus was quite clear about this. You know that knowing without doing can be dangerous? Jesus said, my mother and my brothers are those who hear the word of God and do it. In Matthew chapter 7, he was telling one of his parables, he said, everyone who hears these words of mine and does them will be like a wise man who built his house on the rock. And you know the story. You're foolish if you don't hear and do, but you're wise if you'll hear and do. Faith without works is useless, vain, dead. An important statement here. You and I are responsible for the knowledge and revelation that we've been given. You and I are responsible for what we've been given. You're not responsible for what you have not been given. But you're responsible for what you have been given. So if, if God speaks something into your life, a truth, something he wants you to do, or something he's called you to do, or some change he wants to make in your life, if he gives you light, if he speaks that truth into you, then you get the knowledge of it. 
He'll show you how that, to apply that in certain circumstances in your life. But if it does not, if you do not, if you and I do not yield in obedience to it and act in faith and apply it, then it will, it results in sin. Do you know the Bible says, he who knows to do good and does not do it, it is sin. That's a pretty strong statement, isn't it? In other words, that's simply saying, if you've been given certain light in your life, then you're to walk in it. And if you resist that light, you won't get any more light. If you resist that light, things could get confusing and darker. It's an extremely important spiritual principle that when you get something, receive it and act on it. When you get something from God, when he speaks to you, get it, pray about it if you need to, but then as he leads you, act on it. Don't just get it and sit on it. Get it and act on it. Yeah? Yes, amen. All right. Now, finally, the last thing is that once we have this knowledge, wisdom, and understanding, and once we act on what we have, then we need to know that the third thing or stage that happens in our spiritual growth is real life change. Real life change. Now the invisible becomes visible. And he speaks of this in that first chapter of Colossians. He talks about, I pray that you'll be fruitful after you have this knowledge, wisdom, understanding. That you allow the Holy Spirit to fill you and change you. He says, so that you will be fruitful. Now that word just simply means so you'll be productive in your life. So that it will produce growth and fulfillment in your life. And fruitful, there's three things. When you're fruitful, it will, it will affect your character the fruit of the Holy Spirit. It'll, it'll affect your conduct and it'll affect your influence to people around you, the converts. You grow in all those areas. When you grow spiritually, those things happen. When you grow spiritually, you become more and more empowered so that you can be steadfast in your faith, so that you can overcome, so that you can stay strong in faithfulness. And when you do these things, when you, when you act on what you've been given, there will develop in you a spirit and an attitude of gratitude for the greatness of God and what he's doing in your life right now. And you'll realize, thank God, that he has transferred you from the kingdom of darkness to another world. And he's saying, this is where you live now. You are now seated together with me the right hand of God. That is giving us our position in Christ. Therefore, you have access to all that you've been promised in the Word. And if you learn how to take, he says, if you learn how to take what I've given you, understand it, apply it and do it, act on it, then I will, I will help you to grow in such a way that you can experience that different level of style of living in a new kingdom. And that's why I want to build on that with seven issues that we face, seven things in the Word that will show us that will take place, that takes place in our life, whether we know it or not, that will help us develop this new life, this place that God's called us to. You know, uh, Luke chapter 8, verse 10, Jesus speaking to the believers, disciples there, he was telling parables, but in the message it says, Speaking to them, he says, you're permitted to understand the secrets of the kingdom. You have been given insight into the kingdom. You know how it works. 
And he speaks to those who've rejected the word. And a lot of them was a religious crowd that day. And he says, but just some people will just simply not get it. Let me speak this to you before we go today. Jesus says that it's the Father's pleasure to give you the kingdom. Now I'm going to say it's the Father's pleasure to bring us to a place where we'll walk in that kingdom living which is abundant, which is uh, which will conquer the enemy, which will help you during difficult times, which will guide you when you're needing wisdom and direction, which will help you be effective in your witness, which will bless you in every way in your life. He'll bring you to a different world when you walk in a life that is Christ-like. The kingdom worked for Jesus. He walked in it. And he says that we are to be as he is. And he says because he goes, the Holy Spirit comes to us and he says that Here's life. Here's life. Here's life as we're to know it. I know it's a lot to swallow, but here's life as we are to know it. Speaking of all of his power, all of his miraculous works, all the things that had happened, the amazing things that happened in the ministry of Jesus, he says, these things you'll do, and greater than these things you'll do. Is that where we are right now? That's, and I'm just not talking about just external stuff happening. I'm talking about the whole picture, our whole life, spirit, mind, and body. God wants to take us to that place. Because Jesus said, let me repeat it. Jesus said, you are permitted to understand the secrets of the kingdom. You have a heart that's open and you can know those secrets. I'm going to look at seven of those secrets. They're kind of not hidden. But I'm going to look at those seven secrets over the next two or three weeks. God help us to understand what he wants to say to us now. It'll change your life. It will change our lives. But take it. Build your life on it.